You're listening to the Elephant in the Room Property Podcast, where the big things that never get talked about actually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, and co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia. And I'm Chris Bates, financial planner, mortgage broker, and wealth coach. And together, we're going to uncover who's really making the decisions when you buy a property. Veronica will introduce our guest in a moment, and I can tell you that you want to listen on to hear what he has to say about the changes to depreciation rules and the impact these have on property investors. What they did was they didn't actually, they didn't have any industry consultation until after the event. So it was a bit of a surprise when the budget came along. They had this legislation, uh, draft legislation, but it wasn't really draft. They got me in to discuss it. Um, they asked for my view, which I gave, uh, and they all liked it. They said, there was, and I showed them a far simpler way of how to legislate what they wanted to achieve rather than just having this sledgehammer approach. But of course it was already done and dusted really. So they said, Tyrant, Tyrant, put in a, in a submission, which I did, I spent days on it, uh, actually weeks, put it in and guess what happened? Please stick around for this week's Elephant Rider Bootcamp. And we have a cracking Dumbo of the Week coming up. Before we get started, everything we talk about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent. They will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances. Now let's get cracking. This week, we're picking the brains of Tyron Hyde from Washington Brown Quantity Surveyors. Now, these are the people who work out building costs and of particular interest to property investors are the depreciation schedules that they put together, which help us minimise our tax. Tyron's interest in construction goes way back and after seeing his father lose all his savings via a property scam, he decided he needed to develop a greater understanding of the property market. And whilst at university, he started working voluntarily at Washington Brown as a cadet and a bit like, was it Remington? Steel, Remington, not Remington Steel, but the man that liked the company that much he bought it. That's it. Tyron liked the company so much he ultimately bought it. So Tyron, now as the owner, um, Washington Brown has been grown to what, nearly 50 staff? Staff, yep. And preparing close to 15,000 depreciation schedules annually, not only in Australia but around the world. Washington Brown has also worked with some of the biggest companies in Australia, such as Lend-Lease, Commonwealth Bank and Meriton Apartments. And in particular, Tyron works with Australia's richest man, Harry Chugaboff, and has been advising him personally on all things depreciation for more than 20 years. Now, he's a best-selling author, a regular commentator for Money Magazine and Your Investment Property Magazine, and a keen public speaker. He's a fellow of the Australian Institute of Quantity Surveyors and a registered tax agent. So he's fairly qualified to talk mm-hmm. about what we want to talk to him about today. He also talks really fast, even faster than me, so we'll have to try to get him to slow down or hopefully our listeners can keep up. Hello, Tyron. I'll try and slow down. Hello, everyone. (laughs) Hi, Tyron. Thank you for being here, mate. Thanks for coming. Thanks for inviting me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So this podcast is all around educating buyers and our listeners are are generally property investors. And, you know, the the first question I'd love to ask you is, is one area that I see a lot of investors make mistakes is around they invest for, for tax benefits, for example. Mm. Can you kind of just give us a bit of an example or, or what you believe the biggest false belief is around depreciation? Okay. I'll give you a, a good example. Um, about five years ago, I had a client, don't get me wrong, look, I love depreciation. So I, I think it's a vital part of, of the investment process once you've bought the property. But a one bad example I had was a client that rang me up once and we do what's called marketing reports for developers, right? Where we give an estimate of the likely depreciation on a potential unit investment in developments before they've started. 
And this one lady rang me up once and she had driven to eight different building sites and collected all my marketing reports, which said, here's the estimate depreciation. And she said, so based upon this, your estimates, the one that was the highest was the best investment, right? So all she was basing her whole uh, investment scenario on was what I'd said was the depreciation deductions, mm. right? um, Nothing to do with infrastructure, nothing to do with the rentability of the property, purely on my depreciation numbers, which I think is a little bit misguided. Dangerous. Dangerous. Uh, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes the higher the depreciation might mean that, you know, it's on a wear and tear quicker. It might not be the best investment. You've got to look at many other things rather than just the depreciation numbers. And, and one thing you said there was that you pre, you prepare marketing depreciation schedules for developers. So yeah. obviously then that then is a marketing tool. Yes. Correct. Absolutely. So the idea being that you're in, well, they're enticing buyers to buy by using that depreciation or potential for depreciation as a, as a feature. As yeah, a sales as a, feature. As a, as a, the funny thing about that is that are not a lot of, uh, from my experience, not a lot of the investors would actually know how that fits into the investment equation. And more importantly, once they do own that property and they sell it, how the depreciation works on the sale. So for me, one of the biggest mistakes investors make is going into a property investment not knowing what the actual investment equation is. How do you factor in the stamp duty? Is some, a lot of people think it's tax deductible. How do you factor in the building allowance when you've claimed it? What happens to the plant equipment? To me, as a construction economist, I would want to know all those things before I actually bought the property. Tyron, I mean, that's, I'm, I'm very glad you said that because depreciation, that's one of my biggest bugbears that there's the very few people say that second element, which mm. you just talked about there. Mm. Can you please explain for our listeners, just you're the expert on depreciation. Mm. If you claim depreciation when you own a property and it's an investment property, mm. what happens when you sell that property to that depreciation? Okay. If it was confusing before, it got a hell of a lot more confusing as of May last year in the budget because it's changed. So the answer to that question is twofolded. When did you buy the property? Because that will determine how the, the depreciation claim is actually calculated when you sell the property. Okay, but for our let, listeners, yep. can we go for something that someone bought 10 years ago? Okay, so in that case, what you would do, you would separate the, the plant and equipment from the purchase price. So say say someone, let's put, use some numbers here. Say someone bought a property for $500,000 and there was $20,000 worth of ovens and dishwashers. You make the cost base there 480, you following mm -hmm. so far? Yeah. The $20,000 in plant and equipment, if you've claimed that and you sell it in 10 years time and that's written down to $10,000, that doesn't affect anything. You've sold it, you bought it for 20, you've sold it at 10, you sell it at the written down value. So there's no impact on the plant equipment. However, what most people are referring to is the building allowance that you claim. Whatever you claim in the building allowance, so say you've claimed 20,000 in the building allowance, that 480 cost base now needs to be reduced to 460. So you have a higher capital gain on the difference between the purchase price, excluding plant equipment. You follow mm -hmm. that? That's why right. it's quite confusing. So in summary, what that means is the plant equipment that you claim in the depreciation doesn't need to be factored into the cost base. It's separated. The building allowance that you claim, you have to factor that in when you sell it. But the biggest way to get around putting the building allowance back into the cost base is to don't sell your property. <laughs> Does that make sense? Because there's a, a lot of confusing. That's, a, that's probably the simplest I've explained it to people is just separate the plant equipment because a lot of even yesterday, I had an accountant CC one of my clients saying, "Hey, don't claim the depreciation of ten thousand dollars because you don't have to factor it back into the, the the capital gains when you sell it." I rang him up and said, "You know something I don't know? Why wouldn't you tell the client that only of that ten thousand, only about two and a half needs to be factored in? 
And she went, oh, look, it would have got a little bit confusing to explain that to them. Well, hang on. That's a pretty big number you're <laughs> mm. not telling them to. It's actually th- three quarters of the 10,000. And she went, yeah, you're right. Okay. I mean, so you do, you know, thousands and thousands of depreciation schedules, mm. you know, all over the country or new buildings in particular. People obviously attach depreciation to a lot of new building, and we know as investors that it also affects established buildings as well. But if we think about new buildings, what portion of of depreciation is usually for the building mm-hmm. compared to the fixtures? Is it 80-20? What is it? It's a very good question. Um, so, yes, the hot, generally speaking, the higher the building, the more plant equipment. But you're right in saying new buildings because new buildings now get both the plant equipment and the building allowance. If you buy an established property now, after the budget last year, you can only claim the building allowance. Yeah. Okay. But let's say, you answer to your question on new buildings, yeah, you'd roughly between 20, 20% roughly would be for the ovens, dishwashers, your portion of the lift, et cetera. So roughly 20%. Okay. So this is just something for, for investors just to, to bear in mind here, because I do think this is a, a massive elephant in the room, I guess, depreciation. Mm-hmm. And so with capital gains tax, you're saying that 80% usually of the depreciation is in the building. Yeah. So that means 80% of the depreciation generally is reducing your cost base. Yes, correct. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, a lot of this kind of, you know, I guess when, when you're selling a property is that you end up paying a lot more capital gains tax in the future because you've basically purchased the price for a lot lower price due to the depreciation. Can I kick in and just try to illustrate this and then mm. you can tell me if I've got it right or wrong, okay? okay? Sure. So say for argument's sake, I bought a property for 500000 It was brand new. For the listeners, I won't ever do that, <laughs> just just for the listeners, and only because there's an enormous amount of risk when it comes to brand new. And this is going to illustrate, I think, where part of that risk is as well, right? So say, though, I bought a property for 500000 and there was depreciation that I could claim that was partly plant and equipment and partly building, mm-hmm. right? Okay, so say for the first year of owning it, I had $40,000 worth of depreciation I could claim. Would that be reasonable? Mm, that would be very high. So if it was brand okay. new property, say yep. on an $800,000 property, mm. you'd be... Doing well if you got, say, 15. So I've bought a property for $800,000, brand new. In year one, I get to claim $15,000 in depreciation. Yep. Part of that is plant and equipment, so that's your ovens and portion of lift and that sort of stuff, mm. and the lion's share of that 15000 is going to be the building. The other way around. The other so way around, So in the right, first okay. year, the 15000 would probably be around, uh, you'd probably get about 10 in the plant equipment and about, Four to five in the building allowance. Okay, so let's say five, yep. just because you know yep. I need these so the, nice round numbers. So five is actually we're saying it costs two hundred thousand to build because yep. if it's brand new, if it's five grand, sorry, five Over times forty, 40 is, it's yep. two hundred grand. Okay, mm-hmm. so but that means say I then sell it a year later, mm-hmm. right? And you're saying I actually take five thousand dollars off the cost base, mm-hmm. which means that I'm going to be paying tax on that money. So if I claimed a depreciation, I'm going to have to then go and pay capital gains tax when I sell. Mm-hmm. Okay, so is that right? Yep. But what you've claimed is $15,000 in income tax deductions today, right? So that's a seven and a half grant net yep. if you're on the highest marginal tax rate straight away. You then take that $5,000, you reduce the cost base of that, correct? But you've yep. held it for more than a year, so you halve that already. Of course, so you've only got yes. a two and a half, two and a half grand right. that's affecting your cost base mm. as opposed to a $15,000 tax claim, right? And on top of that, if it's not off to, if you hold it for more than a year, but it, you, you, if you've held it for 10, you've had the benefit of 10 years of claiming all those deductions. Yep. So that's why people do it, yep. right? So there's a time cost of money, but also 
the depreciation component, the plant equipment doesn't come into play, and you all you you half the capital the um the building allowance deductions if you've held it for more than a year. Yep. So that's the that's the elephant in the room from a quantity space point of view. So this is super confusing and really yeah. obviously difficult to mm. uh, to illustrate while we don't with, have a chalkboard. Correct. It is, <laughs> it is a ma- Normally I explain this. It's far better to explain this with a chalkboard, but, yeah, you know, yeah. we're here. And that's okay. But, th- I mean, this is one of the reasons why we want to talk about mm. it because it is so confusing and people are making lots of assumptions about it and they're not getting good advice. They may not even be getting a depreciation schedule if they're mm. buying something established for argument's sake, but even if they are or if they're relying on that depreciation as being there in the reason for making the investment in the first place yep. and they're not getting good advice in terms of that implication now and in the future, then they're going to shoot themselves in the foot, aren't they? Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Excellent because that's the sort of stuff we want to talk about. So I just wanted to yeah, yeah. <laughs> show how confusing this is mm. and I deal with this day in, day out, you know, on the periphery and mm. I find it overwhelmingly confusing half the time. I get frustrated when I see in the paper someone buys a property for 500k Right, and they then the headline they flip it for five fifty two months later, and the papers say that they just made a fifty thousand dollar profit. Mm. That for me, as someone who lives that, I say, really, have you factored in all these other things? Yeah. you know, the holding costs, your, your stamp duty, your exit costs. You've just lost money. Even if you made, if even you made a thousand dollars profit, you've got to have that. But you've because you've just you, you've held it for less than a year. Yeah, someone do the maths on this. You know? That is. Also, something that that really frustrates me because it's like people talk about the sale price, the purchase price, and the sale price, and say they made money. Mm, and it's like, well, actually, you probably lost money in many cases. And and I see it reported in the papers all the time, all the time particularly in you know in the social element of, or title deeds is a yeah, classic, yeah. you know, right. in domain. And and it's like, oh, they did very well. They pocketed you know hundred grand in ten years or something. And I'm mm. always screaming at the paper, going, but how does that compare with the growth in other areas? You know, because there's no relativity in the way people judge this. There was one recently I remember. It was an architect in Paddington. He paid three million for the property and flipped it. Straight for three point two, mm-hmm. uh, within two months. Um, mm-hmm. Really, it didn't make. He may have just made a little bit. If you're lucky, but the way the paper was like, he's made two hundred grand in two months. Mm. Yeah, I mean, well, if he just sold it for the same price he purchased it for, he's lost two hundred grand. Yeah, so yes. the biggest thing you were talking about there is obviously the opportunity cost, and mm. very few investors are honest with themselves. And when they look at their investment returns, they then minus off the opportunity cost mm. or what they could have done with that money because it's a very confronting thing to do in hindsight to say, well, yeah, I did really well with that investment. I made five hundred thousand dollars, but to then go and compare that five hundred thousand dollars of what you could have done with that money mm. to something else. Um, um, you sometimes don't want to know the answers. In your business, Tyron, mm. do you, I mean, you prepare these reports, but mm. do you get much in the way of insights as to the crazy decisions people are making? Well, yes. What we also see is the crazy decisions people have made. So we look at the past history because when you base a depreciation building deduction, you've got to base it upon the actual cost of construction. We're not basing it on today's build. We're saying, okay, say you bought a property today in 1990, we work out what it costs today to build, but we factor it back to the 1990 price because that's where it has to start. Now, in order to do that, one of the tricks we do is we look at what it, what it originally sold for in 1990. Now, if our build cost is higher than the original sale price, something might not be correct, <laughs> right? So we look at the, the, the sales history, and that's where sometimes I'd be posting things on Facebook. So, you know, some places go up and down, up and down. You see that, you know, like Cairns, for instance, it's, it can go, the amount of fluctuations of up and downs that places like that can have, you go, wow, that person bought it there and sold it there, you know, 
and it goes in reverse. We also see some fantastic buys. Once, like I'll give you an example. In the GFC, where everyone was losing or everyone was selling their holiday houses because they had to liquidate, we did a report in Noosa where the client had paid $1.5 million for the property in the GFC. Our build cost was $3 million. Mm. And because the construction cost has to be based upon the actual cost, it's irrelevant what that new purchaser paid. So this person got a $3 million tax deduction for a $1.5 million purchase, right? There is no other way in the Tax Act, anywhere in the Tax Act, where you can get a deduction for greater than what you pay for it other than buying a building at less than its replacement value. Mm. Wow. Pretty good fact. And yeah. I reckon and I reckon, as a quantity surveyor, if you can find a property where the bill cost is less than the purchase, sorry, the bill cost is higher than the purchase price, it's really, really hard to lose money. And that happens all over the country somewhere. Like now- be- when, you say, when you say hard to lose money, mm. you're not talking about the capital value of this property. You're talking about the actual operating cost of the property? I'm saying that, take that, take that, in, that, that property in Noosa, mm. bought at the, I'm basically saying that you're finding the bottom of the market, yeah. where the price- you're finding the bottom. I'm not talking that you're going to make huge mm. capital growth. I wouldn't make that in some mining tops, uh, areas now. But I would say you're finding the bottom mm. where, the per- where, the, where the purchase price is about 60%, 70% of the original bill cost. That's the bottom of the market to me. But that's from my quantity surveying point of view, not my valuation on my real estate agency thing. But mm. I've seen that that many times that the moment that you're getting something at about 60%, so you're, you're paying about 60% of what it costs to build, you found the bottom. I think that's a huge point and I think we should definitely not just like go past that Mm. because really from an investment point of view, that's extremely smart Mm. because what you're actually doing, bearing in mind most of the money that goes up in property is the land Mm. and so whenever you're buying something, you know, really you should be figuring out how much is the land worth of this investment. Mm. So if I'm paying a million dollars for an investment, if I knock down that building, I could sell that piece of land based on other pieces of land in the area for say seven or eight hundred thousand dollars, and because then you know that most of my money of my million dollars is going into the land, and land's what goes up in value. But it also goes down. Land fluctuates. See, building costs never fluctuates. Building costs never go down. Nowhere in history has I know the Australian because we chart this right. Mm. The building costs have never gone down. Is that oh, that's I love a, but, this? Hey, this is interesting. Know, so what building really costs has never gone down? Because in... labor, even in, even because labor labor rates have never gone down. We as a quantity surveying institute, they chart this right. We get yeah. Even when so land does fluctuate. Like when when a house in Noosa goes up and down, guess what? It's not the building cost that's gone up and down. It's the land. <laughs> Isn't this, yeah, in, this is really true. interesting because, <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, you have that classic idea that that's it, what you're buying is the, the land content and that's really important. And I will argue that in certain areas such as inner Sydney and inner Melbourne, that is actually not the case. It's like yeah. the utility of that land or the position of, you know, what you can have on that land that's more valuable than the land itself mm. to a point. So there's got to be a tipping point. But but I'm not a valuer and so I can obviously be shot down in flames by <laughs> someone yeah. who's been trained in that area. But so. We've never talked. I love this as an elephant in the room topic. <laughs> yeah. And I remember when we were filming up in Trinity Beach uh, mm. in Cairns or, or north of Cairns a number of years ago now and we were looking at properties that, you know, the agent was showing us what it cost to build and we knew that we were potentially buying that at an absolute fraction of that. You know, I just kept thinking what a shocking piece of property to hold. Mm. That's mm. When you can't sell it at a fraction mm. of what mm. it would cost mm. to build or what it did cost to build. That's rather scary. But a long-term view is that that's possibly, from my point of view, that's the bottom. Yeah. That's so, the bottom. But, but if you buy that and hold that, yes, 
I would you'd say you'd want to be pretty confident there's going to be some movement in, in the medium, short to medium term. Otherwise, you've got opportunity cost. That's that's the point as well. Mm. There's other factors at play. I'm just saying from what my experience yeah. of seeing the people and then seeing resales of properties because mm. we've done that one and a half million dollar purchase price. As I said, we've done the, we did the resale of the same. We did the same report and the guys paid like three and a half million. So if you just that person made a bomb mm. and they got the depreciation at this huge figure. Yeah, that does happen. It happens a lot more uh, in industrial commercial um, yes. as well. Yeah, because uh, they can really fluctuate a lot more, mm. but that's it happens there as well. So I remember you telling me you bought a property in Cairns some years ago. <laughs> how, does, how did that one go for you? It's going. Look, it's 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 in my super fund. There's no buyers. The, the yield's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> it's still flatlining, but you know it's we're waiting. I saw in the um, Heron Todd White twelve month clock thing they do. The Cairns is about to go up, so yeah, you'll see. It's not a huge. What's your problem. thoughts of these clocks then? While we're there, yeah, I don't mind them. Yeah, I don't mind them. Oh, look, I'm not. I was just at the Brisbane Property Expo talking. There was a lot of people talking about Brisbane there, Andrew Wilson and Margaret Lomas and blah, blah, blah. With regardless of the clocks, I tend to look at things like the price differential between Sydney and, and places. And for me at the moment, looking around at Brisbane, it's, you know, Sydney's at 1.1, Brisbane's at what, 500 medium. About eight years ago, the old 10% difference between Brisbane and Sydney, is it that, has Sydney gone that much better? I know Sydney flatlined for a long time. Look, mm. I'm not here as a, I'm here as a building uh, economist rather than a, a valuation, but to yep. me it seems like being in this industry a long time, there seems like a bit too much of a gap now between Sydney and I know it's uh, there's very different markets in Sydney and there's very different markets in Brisbane, but from those two points of view, um, it seems like yeah. you know there's a big gap. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I mean, you're trying to the, the problem with clocks is you're trying to compare all cities on one piece of paper. That's um, true. And and for me, it's a great marketing tool to. To sell certain places around the country That's because right. you could say, well, you need to buy this city around because this is going to go into a boom. The reality is every single city is different and the length of a boom, the rise of a boom, the falls are all different and they're mm. all and the clock doesn't work at the same time for each individual cities. Yep. So, you know, I guess just for our listeners there on clocks, just be a little bit careful because they're probably one of the, the number one marketing tools I see that companies can uh, use. And within each city, as I know you guys know, there's many different markets, mm. you know. Yes. You can buy a wrong yeah, side exactly into right. Woomba very bad where you can to another side. And so I don't think it's an on-globo thing that you can just say Sydney. Like Sydney's got how many markets? Yeah. Oh, hundreds, buying probably Bond, thousands. You, buying mm. Bondi now is very different to buying in Parramatta. Yeah. You know. Buying in North Bondi is different to buying in Bondi Junction. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely. It is, absolutely. So that's uh, that's a, it's a bigger on-globo thing, isn't it, really? So, mm. so back mm. to depreciation yeah. and the decisions that buyers make around the information that they're getting mm. in, in that space. What are some of the other crazy and – I, and, I, and I like the fact, the distinction that you gave earlier when you said it's not about the decisions people are making, it's the decisions they have made that you get to, to see and observe. Mm. So give us some others that – You've been a bit um, sad. I'd say, okay, I'll give you a couple. One, overcapitalizing. I'd see, because we get, mm. a lot of the times we see what they've actually spent on the property. We've got to estimate costs. And a lot of times we don't get to see what they've spent because they've, they've bought the renovated property. So we estimate it, right? But a lot of other times people have spent money. And it's amazing what someone can make a property look like for 50 grand. And next door they've spent 200 and it looks worse <laughs> than the guy that spent 50. So the one that's got 200,000, they might get a greater deduction, but perhaps they overcapitalized on yep. it. Mm. That and of not claiming the depreciation. I understand where someone might have bought a 1970 property uh, and not claimed any depreciation, but we've had clients come to us that has built, you know, spent $10 million building a factory and they change accounts 10 years later. And the first thing accountant says is, why didn't you get it? These claim nothing. Uh, and he's probably lost... In that 10 years, probably because you've missed out on all the plant equipment pretty much, 
and 10 years of the building allowance, um, you know, at two and a half percent of, uh, so it's 250 grand a year in the building allowance alone. So you're looking at maybe $4 million in lost deductions. And what happens is the client changes accountants and says, why have you even done this? See that way too often. That is a good point because what I've found is that there is a, a really vast amount of understanding amongst accountants in terms of property as an investment tool or as an, as an investment vehicle and how to treat it and how to advise their clients. And I have to say, I, I found it difficult just when people come to me, for instance, and the way that they've structured their debt. Now, I know that's partly mortgage brokers' advice, but it's also partly the accountant's advice in terms of their first tax return. The accountant should be asking all sorts of questions like, you know, well, how do you have an offset account? Do you have mm. things? How is it structured? And yet there's very little of that going on. It's very much driven, seems to be driven by the individual investor pushing their accountant. I mean, how do you think a buyer or a, a property owner needs to go about finding the right advisor? Well, that's a tough one. I, we get asked all the time to recommend accountants, mm. uh, but unfortunately my, they've come to us after they've actually bought the property. Mm. So the first question I'd be asking is see your accountant before you buy the property, get the structure right. That should be the key of every property investor. Yeah. Is it right for your super fund? Is it right for you? Should you have a discretionary trust? You know, companies now can claim depreciation even on secondhand properties and that can be an option for mm. people now. Yeah, so I think uh, they definitely should see an an account before they buy property and get the structure right. Yeah. But that assumes that they've got an accountant that can give them that advice. So I guess that's the real advice is to say go to an accountant and if it doesn't sound like they know what they're talking about or they're not making any suggestions in this area, go and find another accountant before you buy a property. Definitely get independent advice. If you find yourself on a plane to the Gold Coast or on a bus trip to the Gold Coast buying a brand (laughs) new property, I would say definitely get some independent advice and not the independent advice advised to you by the people selling you the property. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that there's some gold in that, in that if somebody is pushing a particular barrow, and you mentioned that in regards to the property expo that you were at last yesterday, um, that, you know, if somebody's pushing a particular city or location or type of property to you as the only thing that you should be buying at the moment or as a great investment opportunity, check whether they're getting a commission. Because if they have a vested interest in that advice, then you can't trust the advice. That said, the speakers at the expo weren't, they weren't, they not were all speakers. independent. Not they, no, the speakers themselves, not, the, I think they've done a pretty good job, this uh, group that organised the property expo of getting independent people. And because they, they want to add value, there's certainly, there was no one up there saying, come and buy our stock. It was all independent people just talking. But because it was Brisbane, they were using Brisbane examples of population, et cetera. So it was pretty, as far as expo talks go, I thought it was a pretty good one. Yeah. So you just mentioned there around, I guess, tongue in cheek, jumping on a plane to Gold Coast to buy, you know, an off the plan apartment. I'd love to just get your kind of your view on new versus old. And from an investment point of view, mm. you know, I know that a lot of what you do is help new property purchases claim the most appreciation and you know i get all that but just on a personal level you know what's your view on buying established versus new and what what's your preference i guess um the question uh i'd say firstly based upon the new tax laws it is now undeniable that brand new property has greater cash flow than a secondhand property it cannot mathematically be argued does not make it a better investment but mathematically if you were to buy in the same development and you buy a brand new property versus one that's next door that's selling that's one year old and you're getting the same rent, promo the same levies, it is undeniable that a brand new property has a greater cash flow than the, the one-year-old one, which I think stinks, mm-hmm. right? I think it stinks that 
the government has said, even though that the effective you can no longer claim depreciation on the plant equipment in secondhand properties, it makes new property look more attractive, and there's more scrupulous people in new properties selling it, and so it can push people down the the, the aisle where they shouldn't be going. You know, come in spinner to a mm. certain degree. Uh, which well, I don't agree with. And they've done it before. They've done it before with first-home buyer grants. Well, yeah. you know? if, if, if they change the negative gearing laws to only be new property as well, mm. let's think about that for people that will be losing their hard-earned, you know? I mean, yeah. that's stitching up your first-home buyers. It's stitching up the young economy. Yeah. Yeah, and Basically. the mums and dad investors as well, throwing yeah. more under the bus I'd say, for the sake I'd of the say construction more, industry. I'd actually say uh, <laughs> more retirees or, or mm. people in the super fund, people getting their money out of super, getting a uh, planner who's going to take $40,000 yeah. clip along the way, putting them into a, a brand new property, saying you get all, you still get the depreciation and you can still negative gear it. When the, the problem is then when they go to sell that one-year-old property or that two-year-old property, they're now competing with the property in the same development, perhaps, that has the brand new shiny allowances. Yeah. Right? And the problem is, no one, not, I'm not saying no one knows this has happened, but not many people. At my at the Property Expo in Brisbane, I asked, as I had an audience of 100, which, you know, was pretty small for uh, me these days. Right now. <laughs> but I had an audience of 100. I put my hand up and said, how many of you know these new depreciation laws? Five people mm. had heard of it, right? Now, this is people that are at a Property Expo that, are passionate people about property and only five of them have heard it. So mm. this is our experience at the moment. Not many people are aware of this, um, of the changes, So, which I, is a bit of a worry. I think that's it's such a good point. Depreciation is so technical and there's all these kind of nuances in it. Mm. I mean, that's the big problem, right? You buy the new property and you get the depreciation. Mm. Mm. Then at some point you want to sell it. Mm. And then other investors are saying, well, I won't buy that because there's not very good depreciation in That's that. That's right. I might as well buy the new property. Correct. And so very quickly you go from a very high demand market where everyone's trying to get this depreciation mm. and then you go put it on the market and then no one wants it because it's got no depreciation. That's it's right. And that's like when you buy a brand new property, the developer has a full page ad, right, with a sexy couple by the pool. Right, you got to sell yours. Your your little in the old days, not online so much. But you're you're like down down on page seventy nine with three lines trying to compete with the developer who's got a marketing budget of hundred grand. It's, it makes it hard, right? Um, and but the other thing, just back onto new. Don't get me wrong. I've made money out of new property, um, mm. and I think you can. I don't think it's something that you can't. I think you've got to time the market a lot better with new than you do old. Right, I'm in the industry. We control the funds on a lot of projects, so I do have a bit of a heads up of who the good developers are. And sometimes I've done deals with them, so it's probably not a fair comparison. But I also see people make a lot of money in new property as well if they time the market right. And it's not just timing, though. There are other elements that they mm. need to understand. Like you said, you know, the, the good builders, for instance. Mm. What else does somebody need to know in order to actually make money out of new property? Number one, I'd say, from my experience is know the developer's done a finished project, right? There's a lot of times uh, which should certainly help. Like people, when you end up holding a property that's been half, look, it, sometimes it can help in, um, where it goes that long that the, the prices have gone up. That might not happen now in Sydney, for instance, for a little while that that'll occur. And, you know, we've heard all the stories where the developer will try and not let you get out of the sunset clause, but now the New South Wales government has squashed that. So, look, definitely number one thing, I'd look at the track record of the builder. And developer go to some of their past projects so the quality right mm -hmm. that would be another good tip you know and if it's their first project i'd tend to be wary but apart from that the air the location is like okay here's a good tip for people for me as an investor where i see a lot of cranes in the sky i tend to get worried simple mm -hmm. as that 
Right. It's about supply and demand, Man, isn't it? Right. Too much and supply. I, where I see, it's simple. To, if I see a lot of cranes, there's mm. a crane index that one of my competitors puts out and um, they track where all the cranes are and how many cranes are. And to me, look, it can be good, but to me, I think you're if you're a novice investor, you're probably better off buying an area where there's not a lot of cranes is your first one, is my tip. So you said you can make money, <laughs> which is fair enough. You can make money anywhere in life. You know, you, you could buy a secondhand car, fix it up, sell it, make $3,000. You know, I guess you can make money anywhere. But mm. is it really worth the risk? You know, if you've got Ooh, this, you've got, you know, 10 million properties in Australia mm. and we're looking at the new properties, which is probably, what, 1% or 2% yeah, on top of that? Yeah, it'd be surprisingly, it's a, the transactional value of new property compared to existing dwellings is surprisingly low. Yeah, and so if you're fishing, you're fishing in this kind of 1% or 2% of the, the market in this yep. tiny little pond yep. where you've got everyone running around trying to sell their developments, et cetera, like that. And then on the other side, you've got these 10 million properties that are on the market. Correct. Which pond would you fish in? Well, I'd fish in a pond where I can track the resale history. Yeah. Right? So for me, you're better off buying in a development where you can see all the resales of the property or in an area where you can see the resales. It's really hard to say to know the value if a developer is just putting on the values by himself without the market saying this is what it's worth. And that's something that buyers need to be aware of as well is that when you're buying a brand new property, you're basically buying it at cost base plus whatever profit mm. the developer wants. And quite often buyers are, they're like looking at a silo. They're just looking at other new properties. They're not actually comparing the brand new shiny apple with the one with the bite out of it, <laughs> which right. is the that's established right. property. Mm. And so they're not actually comparing with the market. And mm. I don't think valuers will include brand new sales when they're valuing existing property either. Will they? No, I don't think. If they, if they were looking at an existing property, they wouldn't They wouldn't take into account the values of a brand, something off, off sold yeah. off the plan no, next door, no so, way. So they don't, a valuer doesn't view it as the same, no. you know, in terms of the same value as an existing property. So I think buyers need to be very aware that they are two very distinct markets mm. and the price that they're paying isn't necessarily market driven, mm. it's it's uh, developer it's driven. driven. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And I think, it, you know, it's it's... Big thing here with the law changes last year, and I think, you know, if you are investing in property, you've really got to understand mm. the changes to depreciation. You know, it's one of the first things, I, you know, as soon as you buy a property or you're looking at a property, is go get a depreciation schedule for the sake of And it still three, applies, four, people. You're still going to get a depreciation schedule. Oh, you're just not going to get as much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it's still yeah. going to be worthwhile. You know, it's whatever it's going to cost, a few hundred dollars, you know, in the whole scheme of Tyron's doing a special for $199. <laughs> Joking. <laughs> Well, actually, can we offer a deal for our listeners, Tyron? Well, we'll we'll talk as we're going to get there, are we? Uh, Now? Well, well, yeah, I mean, can we offer? Oh, well, well, let's just see what we're talking about. I was going to create a page, um, uh, washingtonbrown.com.au backslash ebook or forward slash, which, what would it be? Forward slash. And in my book, I wrote a new book. Uh, I wrote a book. first book was called Claim It. um, And now with the new law changes, I've rewritten the book and it's called Keep Claiming It. Uh, which makes sense, right? Ah. Um, and in that book, I've come up with seven strategies or workarounds around the new laws. Mm. And I'm going to put those into an ebook. And uh, your listeners uh, can go to washingtonbrown.com.au forward slash elephant. Mm-hmm. And we're going to create a landing page and you'll be able to opt in and get a free ebook, which will have the seven strategies that they can have workarounds of this, but also a special offer to your readers that they click on a link within the ebook, they'll be taken to a page where they can get a discounted rate. Oh, thank you. Fantastic. Thank mm. you. Oh, we'll include that in the show notes. With these new rules, mm. I think this is a, a strategy. I love just thinking about the strategy. You know, what's yep. the what's the best thing that someone can do? And, you know, being very open-minded on all the different options out there and then mm. 
looking at what when you're comparing, you know, option A to option B, option C. Now, sometimes when you're buying established property, which is what is sometimes the best option for most people, yep. you know, they're comparing two different properties and one's been renovated recently okay. and one hasn't been renovated. With the new rule changes, how would you approach that differently now than you would have, say, a few years ago? Okay, well, for me, there's ideas that come into my mind when you, when you ask that question. Uh, but I'll tell you two strategies that kind of answer that. Two strategies of, in the, um, my seven strategies guide. One of them is buying a property in a company name. Okay, so the law has changed, but I didn't, I, I've recently bought a property in a company name because if you buy it in the company name, you can still claim depreciation exactly as you could before. Right, so Macquarie Bank can go and buy a hundred secondhand units and claim depreciation, but you or I can't in our personal name. However, I bought in a company name. Now, the reason that accounts have said don't buy it in a company name prior was because of the capital gains tax implications, right? Because you don't get the discounting benefit. So I'm gonna get a little technical here. However, tax rates are going down around the world, right? We know that they're coming down at 28. percent So the variation there isn't that much more anymore. Now, this is not for everyone, and I don't give it financial advice. I'm a quantity surveyor. Just a humble investor, right? But, but so that's one benefit of it. The other benefit is the travel laws. You know, you probably heard the travel laws are no longer, you can't travel to your Gold Coast property anymore and instead claim the deduction. Well, with the companies, you can. So I bought the property in the UK. So I can theoretically, not that this is the reason why I bought it, but theoretically I can buy, <laughs> go to, to go to the UK <laughs> once a year. Mm. So, and I think that's an important point that you made there was that that can't be the only reason that you buy it. So if if, not. if you're buying a good property, fundamentally, a good investment is a good investment for a number of reasons. And I always say it's got to be in a very, very good area um, because you don't want to take loads of risk and it has to be a good property within that area. But obviously, if you can understand where you can get advantage by being strategic about it mm. and understanding those rule changes and and the landscape so that you can make decisions before you actually sign the dotted line, then you can do better. Well, the, the other reason was that it's the, the tax rate is 28% for the company or whatever it is, 28 to 30%. In the, it's cash flow. There's no borrowings on this property. So that income is only taxed if I, hold, if I leave that money in the company at that rate. Whereas if I had it in my personal name, it goes on to my personal income tax, I'm paying it at 48%. Right, mm. so that you've got to take every property is different. I own properties in super funds, trust funds, personal name, my wife's name. Uh, so there's different elements, and each property you've got to look at different. Back to our mm. scenario of going to your accountant first and advising which is the best structure for you. Right, mm. another strategy you said buying a unrenovated property. So uh, one of my other strategies there is called the smash and grab strategy, and what this means is now we know that you can't claim depreciation on secondhand plant equipment. Now, plant equipment by nature is going to last eight to 10 years, right? So I've said, well, why don't, you, why don't investors or why don't I target properties are built eight to 10 years old, right? Buy that property. Those items by now, are they going to wear out? They, they've already worn out the ovens and dishwashers, carpets, right? They're, it's a replacement time. So look for stuff that's worn. Replace those items. Get a capital loss on the items that you've just removed, you then put in the new oven, dishwashers, et cetera. You're getting, because they're brand new, you can claim those items again. So it's like buying a brand new unit, but you're getting a capital loss on the initial items and you claim the building allowance for the next 30 years anyway. So there's a way you can get more deductions on a secondhand property than you can on a brand new one. Which is mm. funny, isn't it? Because real estate agents will often talk to people about to sell their property and say, well, you know, you need to put a new oven in and put new carpet yeah. and paint it and all the rest of it. Well, but if, you, if you're going to be well, potentially selling to it, an investor, exactly you don't right, want to do it. You're dead right because 
if now the uh, investor can get that appreciation, it's going to be hard for us to prove that that oven wasn't used. So the term by the government is that it's got it if it's previously used, right? To leave the film on the glass. Well, if that's you do it. it exactly. <laughs> leave the leave the yeah. Mm. That's that. Or this is where it's going to get a grey area. Give the receipts over from Harvey Norman. You see mm. those items that are renovated, does the new carpet, they t- and new blinds, etc. They're the things that happen right at the end, and they might theoretically not be used. So I don't think there's been a lot of rulings on how we're going to determine what is previously used or not. But the best way to prove it's not previously used is sell it unrenovated, right? Yeah, and get, exactly. And and, and and get someone to do the twenty thousand dollar reno. Put the rent up, claim the depreciation of the brand new items, get a capital loss for the small small capital loss on the things that you've just removed, yep. if there's any value left to them, and claim the billing allowance again. But this has implications for flippers, doesn't it? Yes. Yes, I agree. That's exactly right. So, I mean, if you're buying an investment, you actually now, because of the new rule changes, you want to get that unrenovated 1960s Art Deco apartment, not the one that's just been renovated two years ago and has had $100,000 spent on it because you could potentially spend the sixty dollars or $70,000 and then claim all the depreciation on it, which is a big difference. I'd say buy something maybe 15 years old so you're still getting the building allowance as well. That, that's because mm. I'm a quantity surveyor. But something that's 15000 <laughs> rather than a 1960s place, you probably have more structural issues. I'm, I, I think from my personal point of view, I'd buy something that's 15, 10 to 15, uh, still got a lot of building allowance left, not that that's the only thing, but, you know, it's a small makeover, whereas something 1960s you might be looking at a bit more rather, you, you know, new kitchens, yeah. new tiling. That, that, I guess that's up to personal point, how, how, how deep involved they want to get in the reno. Yeah, I mean, I guess something 15 years ago, you're not probably comparing apples and apples. No, you know, what we were building in 2003, we weren't building in 1963. Mm. In 1963, we had a lot less people in the world and we could build bigger apartments on bigger pieces of land. And so when you're actually comparing apples and apples, you've probably got much fewer numbers of apartments in the block mm, that's than, true. than these newer buildings. Yeah. And so when you break down these older buildings and you look at what you're actually getting, mm. you're actually getting much more land for your money. Mm. And I know that we talked about that land can go up and down in value, but fundamentally that's the biggest driver that pushes mm. prices up. Absolutely. And I, I guess it's, uh, yeah, I mean, that's just a, it's just a different strategy, I guess. Yep. And lots of, the saying that land always goes up, it's true in certain areas, it's not, yeah. you know, but in some areas it's not. But in, it's, in most it, it's, it's true. Yeah, I mean, it, it's that those inner areas, the more solid, you know, low-risk mm. areas are those inner areas of Sydney and Melbourne, for instance, and there's yep. a lot more fluctuation the minute you get outside of that 10K oh. radius of both of those cities. Um, well, not it's to only say- going to go up if it's valuable, right? And it's only going to be valuable if it's scarce. Mm. And so, you know, a farm, you know, 60Ks from Sydney is only valuable now because the Sydney population has grown so much, mm. you know, and it's now getting close to the city. Yep. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. They're waiting well, for probably a closer now with Badger's Creek. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, look, I think that touches on something as well there, Chris. You know, you're talking about an Art Deco apartment for argument's sake versus something that's 15 years old. And, and it comes back to that thing we talked about earlier in this interview where if you're making your decisions based purely on, on depreciation, you're running into danger because you're not necessarily buying a good asset. You're buying for a deduction, and that's a crazy reason to make a decision on a property. It's part of the decision-making, obviously, but if you're looking at an Art Deco property, that's scarcity. They are less of them around, and it's valuable because of that scarcity, and you may not get the depreciation that you're not going to get the building depreciation on it, but you will get capital growth as a consequence of that scarcity. So these are all 
you know, some of the swings and roundabouts that investors have to consider yep. and why focusing purely on tax benefits mm -hmm. or, or tax reducing their tax is a very dangerous path more. to go I down. Look, I'm the biggest advocate of getting depreciation claims right, but I always tell, tell people it's the icing on the cake. Make the decision mm. on anything else other than depreciation and then come and see me like yeah. you bought it, right? That's the tip. I mean, in, in that exactly right. You know, it should be seen as the icing on the cake. When mm. you do your cash flow and you look at the investment, yes, it can help up. with your cash flow. Mm. I mean, a big problem we have is mental accounting, right? So I don't want to lose money on this property. I don't want to put my hand in my pocket for this investment. It's not costing me anything. These are the stories that we, we like to say and, mm. in, and think. But really, you know, if you lose $5,000 a year, but you get yourself a much better property over the next 30 years, mm. It doesn't matter if it costs you five grand a year if you get a much better property. You've really got to kind of disconnect so much from the, you know, the the month to month cash flow and really focus on what matters is what you're doing is, is, is the property you buy. Yep. Investing for the future. I mean, and that's it's the capital growth yep. part of the equation there. Every week we hear incredible stories of the dumb things property buyers do. Dumb things that end up costing them a whole lot of money and or creating a whole lot of stress. Mistakes that can be avoided. So Tyrone, please help our listeners out here. Please give us an example of a property dumbo. Well, look, I'm not going to name names but, um, or an individual, but if you ask me, the federal government was a bit of a dumbo in releasing this uh, new change in legislation. What they did was they didn't, actually they didn't have any industry consultation until after the event. So it was a bit of a surprise when the budget came along. <laughs> they had this legislation, uh, draft legislation, but it wasn't really draft. They got me in to discuss it. Um, they asked for my view, which I gave, uh, and they all liked it. They said, there was, and I showed them a far simpler way of how to legislate what they wanted to achieve rather than just having this sledgehammer approach. But of course, it was already done and dusted, really. So they said, Tyrone, Tyrone, put in, in a submission, which I did. I spent days on it, uh, actually weeks, put it in. And guess what happened? Nothing. Mm. So it is, look, I think they should have had the industry consultation prior to actually having the legislation pretty much written. Um, so if you ask me, the federal government is a dumbo. I mean, that's, to me, is another big risk at the moment. Is Absolutely. And the problem with that is they've already kind of, with the depreciation allowances, pushing people to new property. And if they do it, if Labor get in and do neg and remove negative gearing except for brand new property, another boost to, neg to new property. No government wants to stop building. But I think you don't want to push people too far into buying brand new only because there are some unscrupulous people selling new property. There's good ones, but there's also some bad ones. And there's only so many new properties. So you're going to get all mm. these buyers rushing to buy these new property. There's only so many of them. Mm -hmm. And what happens to all the existing stock yep. and all the new apartments that were a year old and two years old and no one can buy them because there's no negative gearing and you're going to see a huge, the new Difference. property are going to go for good prices and then everything that's not new, which is Correct. Really, 10 million properties yep. are going to see some problems. And that's so. because they have kind of created a two-tier market with someone selling now a one-year-old property in could be in the same development, just a different stage, compared to someone selling a brand-new property in the same stage. There's a big difference cash flow-wise, mm. um, and it's only one-year-old. So mm. they could have had a far more logical um, approach to this. What that, kind of, that says there is if you have got a property that's a year old, it's not as desirable as it was pre, From, you know, the changes. That's right. And so... You know, you've got to be careful about these risks with governments and, and things like that. And um, even if they do make these changes, that your property will survive. The, the funny thing about that is people that bought a property three years ago off the plan, 
that might be settling now or have settled after the budget went into that system or went into the tax regime knowing that if they sold that property after a year, they could still have on-par depreciation deductions when they sold. So they went into the system knowing the tax laws of that time, but they've settled now and they want to sell it a year later, they will be under the same tax. Mm. So they might have made that decision if they knew what was going to occur. Yep. Mm. Dumbo. You know, I sit down with a lot of young families and, you know, they may have bought a property three, four years ago uh, with the idea to renovate it, you know, because they might have bought a two-bed house um, with the idea to add a third, fourth bedroom on a nice street in a good area. Mm -hmm. And one of the things they're really struggling with right now is that, you know, when we looked at the, the scenario three, four years ago, we looked at the renovation costs of, you know, three, four hundred and, you know, the quotes we're getting back now are, you know, double that. Um, yes. Can you just kind of give give our listeners, because you know, you've got a very good bird's eye view on building costs and the explosion of building costs, you know, in Sydney and maybe Melbourne as well. Um, well, that's that's a no brainer. Look at the, the the cranes in the sky, the activity that's occurred. It's um, we we uh, we also do a lot of pricing for developers and builders as part of our process, not just quantity surveying, but we also so not just depreciation schedules. We also do cost planning for developers and builders, and it's getting really expensive to build. It's as simple as that. There's just not enough. I'm not just worried about the construction cost. I'm worried about the thereafter of the quality that's being built because I can't see how we've had this massive explosion in um and 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 got enough trades to do it. Mm. Um, I I think it's a a really good industry to get into right now is remediation, remediation of building <laughs> oh, work. <God>. You know, <laughs> you think about it. There's gonna be that's where you're gonna have an explosion. Don't worry about explosion of building costs. You're gonna have explosion of um, remedial work if Fixing you ask it. me. I mean, ambulance chasing is a, is is, def <laughs> well, is definitely not a is, is a build as a as a business for some people. Yeah. But um, you know, but can you give me some more numbers around there? Like, what's what's a renovation for a house costing today? Mm. You know, per square meter than say it was say five six years ago. Well, you're right. It's it's doubled. Like in certain parts, it's doubled. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, uh, look, it's, when you say the problem with saying a renovate, okay, firstly, a renovation is the hardest thing to price from our point of view. Mm. Because it's we we're good at the cookie cutter kind of um, development, like where you're just building blocks after block of houses. But renovation really, like we see a Paddington renovation, the initial budget might be three hundred k, easy eight hundred. You mm. know, and it's just mm. when people get involved, they're unskilled, they're doing that one renovation, they change, and the the problem is starts with they don't have a proper specification of what they want at the beginning. So it's variations. It's that variations cost. that kill. Mm. And once the builder gets you in, you're gone. Right, mm. if you don't have a proper space every time, that, and it's it's fair enough on the builder as well in many parts of it because they will have to change their whole trading their systems to come back. You know, you've now changed that. I've got to have the lift more often. I've got to have the the the, the, the gantry train, sorry, the crane there more, or whatever it is, whatever you're doing for that property, a longer time frame there. The scaffolding might have to stay longer because you've changed your mind. So my tip would be to make sure you know exactly what you want, so the builder can price it firstly. Um, before you start. Mm. And we just went through a renovation. Uh, it was a, well, I don't want to tell you numbers, but it, it doubled. And I'm a quantity surveyor and it doubled, right? <laughs> Half of that so, was because we got really, um, look, it's really nice. Okay, can, but, we, can we give you as the Dumbo of the Week then? Tell yeah, you give me the, okay. So I'm the Dumbo of the Week in that we, um, well, it's not, I wouldn't say I'm the Dumbo Dumbo because it's, I don't think I'm going to lose value where it is, but um, <laughs> I'm certainly, it's okay. Here's, I am the, you know, I'm the Dumbo of the Week because I'm a quantity surveyor and my building costs were like at least 70, 80% higher than what we originally planned. <laughs> why? Now, why? Because we, um, as uh, parts of the way we, well, the furniture, we went crazy on the furniture, which kind of wasn't really in my initial 
um, budget. Um, well, not the budget. I, I kind of don't ex- include that. Um, but we, I guess, from when uh, the initial plans of what, what, like my initial thing, oh, we're going to spend 150k doing this two-bedroom unit renovation, right? End up costing like 400. But because I just went, you know what? We're here. We're doing it once. It's a two-bedroom unit. It cost me five hundred thousand dollars to renovate a two-bedroom unit. That's a massive That's a blowout. Massive. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, a a big budget in the first place, and b a massive blowout. Mm. Okay, so and Didn't this is that look, but, uh, it, <laughs> so you kept very you you kept varying. Well, the, no, um, I, I guess okay. So when I say it costs double, it's from my initial what in my head it was yeah. going to cost as opposed yeah. to once I actually went, okay, well, this is what the finishes level we got in. It wasn't too far away from it. But my initial my initial concept of, okay, it's only going to cost 150K to renovate this too better um, to when it went, oh, well, now we've got, well, let's let's do this. Let's replace all the... Let's replace all the, the the glass. Let's replace you know everything. Oh, we're doing it now. We might as well keep going. Oh, we might as well just put that in. Oh, why not? We're here now. Type thing. Pandora's That's box. When it, so by the time we got to why why don't we just do that at the end? It wasn't too far away. But the initial concept of yeah, it's because at the end of the day, four hundred k, you can build a house. <laughs> <laughs> but and so, so did you actually go through the exercise of working out what's it worth before you renovate and what's worth after you renovate? The property? Yeah. Uh, look, you do mentally, but it's a pretty, uh, look, I certainly haven't lost money. It's, and that's partly, I certainly haven't lost money, but I think it's also because in North Bondi, the unit price has gone over the last two years since we've done it. It's been pretty, pretty uh, good. So I, I, I don't think I could have, if we just held on, it would have gone Good as well. Well, that's mm. right. And you've got you to know, minus that off whether you've made right. money or not because that's the land value. Not yeah. doing the renovation would have just got you that money anyway. Yeah. And that's a big <laughs> thing with renovations is, you know, when you when you actually go, well, we spent 200 but we made 250 in the sale price. Um, yeah, I mean, you haven't really made much, mm, you no. know, and, and maybe so. Yeah, I think it's a really, <laughs> I mean, I love that point as well you make there. And this is all about understanding human behavior and and what we do and what you said there is you made a, a call in your head and you said I think it's going to cost about 150. Mm. Now that's just based on what, what you think it's going to cost because you've kind of plucked a number out, right? Well, kind of but for me, I'm fucking a bit of an educated <laughs> yeah. guess I would have thought but yeah, but I guess yeah. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, and obviously you're coming from an educated point, but this is what we all do, mm. right? And this yeah. is what all investors do. We go, well, it's probably only going to cost 200. Yeah. Yeah. Now, really, you got to get someone on your side that actually knows this. Yeah. These, these information. So get yep. in contact with an architect, get in contact with a draftsman, you know, get get some people in your team that you can make those calls to and say, look, this is I'm buying this two-bedroom house. I'm thinking of converting it to a three-bed. You know, what's your thoughts? Is this doable? Is, is there, Do I really need relaying access? You know, and I think once you bought the property, you can't rewind it, mm. you know, because, you know, it's too late. So I think that, you know, getting the advice on what you can do to a property before you sign the contract mm. is is a pretty smart move. The yep. problem is at the moment, though, is the variation that you'll get in building prices is huge, mm. right? Because of the, and that's purely supply and demand. It's not like it's a logic. Then coming to you with, for especially for a small renovation, coming to you with a detailed trade breakdown of what they're going to do. They're going to say, "I've got that much work on." Oh, I think it's in reality it's probably a hundred, but here two fifty, take it or leave it. And that's where it gets really hard for us to estimate because we're like, well, that's the supply and demand. We're doing some concrete cancer on our building at the moment as well, um, and we had quotes from eight hundred, sorry, eighty to two hundred fifty k. Same job, mm. three times the difference. It's ended up being, uh, and we had good documentation on it. There's been a lot of variations because with concrete cancer, you can get concrete spalling, and it's really hard to know how far you're going to dig the concrete out. Um, and that's really expensive stuff. So the t- 
So the 80K, we're now at like 120. We're pretty happy with that because the 250K, he still would have added or he still would have had the same problems, right? Mm. So, um, yeah, it's just so with that kind of stuff, it's even harder. Concrete spalling, working out that kind of remedial work is really mm. hard to price. Brilliant. Well, I think there's been so much gold that we've covered. We've traversed an incredible uh, landscape in terms of wow. topics relating to property <laughs> today. We certainly have. And one of the reasons why we thought you'd be so fabulous to get into the room to mm. talk about the elephant. So thank you so much for your time, oh, Tyron. It's been awesome. Thanks, guys. Tyron, really appreciate it. Thanks, mate. Thank you. We want to make you a better elephant rider. This week's elephant rider training is... Getting your support crew right. We talked with Tyron about the things you need to know about before you buy a property and, and we talked at length about it, choosing a good accountant because getting that advice is is absolutely critical to making good decisions. So an accountant is one person you definitely need on your team and obviously a good mortgage broker and obviously I can direct you to Chris here because that's what he does. But if you don't have a good broker on your team to advise you in in your affordability, capacity, you know, where you should be getting your your funds from, how to structure it, whether you should cross-collateralise, all those sorts of things that you need to discuss with your broker before you commit to a property. Obviously, you need a solicitor or a conveyancer on board. You need to know where you're going to get the advice regarding strata or building inspections. Obviously, I'm going to say that you need to consider using a buyer's agent and that's one way to actually have one person actually coordinate all of those advisors. We also talked about when you're buying with a particular objective to renovate, you need to get advice prior to purchase so that you can understand the potential of that property and also the potential costs of renovating that property as well. So there are a lot of advisors that you really should have on your team before you buy a property and be very, very, very careful about making assumptions because as we all know, assumptions make an ass out of you and me. So, Veronica, what have we got to add to our Elephant Memory Bank this week? Well, Tyron's written an ebook, and he says it's just for us, which is pretty handy. So we're going to put the link for that in the show notes. Now, what that ebook will have is seven hacks to, I guess, get around, shall we say, or maximise your depreciation following the changes to property depreciation that was put in the federal budget in May 2017. Now, please come back and join us next week when we interview Luke Metcalf. Luke is the creator of the Microburbs website, and we have an amazing conversation where we really tackle all sorts of questions about big data, small data, micro data, all the sorts of important things that you need to understand before you make property decisions, and a lot of very surprising revelations about what actually leads to growth in property values. The Elephant in the Room Property Podcast is recorded at the Sydney Sound Brewery. This week's podcast was recorded by John Resk and edited by Gordy Fletcher. Until next week, don't be a dumbo. Me again. Don't forget, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends and we'd love an iTunes review. We're getting lonely here. Be aware, everything we talk about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent. They will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances.